Well, good morning, everyone. Um, first, I want to say two thank yous. The first, thank you for choosing to be here this morning. Um, it's raining. It's nasty. You could have stayed home and stayed in bed, but you decided to be here. So good on you. Thank you for being here. And secondly, um, I was talking with Joseph this morning, and he wanted me to tell you all thank you from the bottom of his heart for the prayers, the calls, the texts, and the messages that you all have uh, given to him while him and Miriam have been sick. And so he just wanted me to tell you all thank you and uh, just keep praying for him as uh, he, him and Miriam um, get better. And so uh, I am up to bat for him today. So we're going to continue the series that he started um, last week talking about a Christmas with less stress. A Christmas with less stress. And um, today we're going to be talking about de-stressed gift giving. My favorite thing. I love gifts. I love Christmas. Um, But more than getting gifts, I love giving gifts. I'm a personal gift giver. Okay? And what I mean by that is um, I married a, a very beautiful woman, yes, and uh, she likes to give gift cards for everything. Just get him a gift card. Just get him a gift card. And I'm like, yeah, but there's no personal touch to it. There's no thought behind it. It's just, oh, you like to eat here? Gift card. There we go. And I'm a personal gift giver. I like having that personal touch on a gift because then it allows people to know that you actually thought about the gift that you give them. And so oftentimes when you're trying to figure out a gift to get somebody, it, be, it can become stressful if you're like me because you're trying to find that perfect gift for somebody that really like touches them or uh, relates to them. I remember a few years ago, um, my grandfather, uh, he, he's passed away now, but uh, when he was here with us, he is a huge Boston Red Sox fan and New England Patriots fan. Um, I prayed for him every day because of that. But anyway, um, I remember uh, that year I got him um, a scarf and all kinds of uh, memorabilia for uh, the Boston Red Sox, and he absolutely loved it. And I'm just that kind of person. Like, I want to give you a gift that I put time and thought into and not just a measly old $25 gift card. But sometimes it can be super, super stressful. And Christmas is all about giving gifts. And so I thought I would start out with the last 40-ish year list from uh, the Statistic Brain. Uh, They have a list of the most uh, must-have Christmas gift list. And so I'm going to give these to you uh, real quick. In 1983, it was a Cabbage Patch doll. In 1985, it was a puppy from the pound. In 1989, a Game Boy. Now, I had one of these when I was growing up, and it's super fun. And I can understand why I was on the must-have gift list. Uh, In 1995, there was this thing that came out called a Beanie Baby. And that was crazy. And I think people still collect them. Um... So that made the list. Uh, 1996, this was close to when I was born, uh, but I never had one. A Tickle Me Elmo. Any of y'all ever had a Tickle Me Elmo? No? Uh, In 2002, uh, it was an iPod. Those were pretty popular. Uh, In 2006, I got one of these. It was a Wii. That was the year the Wii came out. And I remember I got one of those because I had to do a scavenger hunt for it. And it was a lot of work to get my Christmas gift. And I didn't technically, I I didn't appreciate that. Um, they, they should be under the tree, not hidden. You know, uh, it's not, it's not fun. Uh, in 2010, the Kindle must have, 
of 2010. 2013, a Doc McStuffins doll. I've never heard of that. I don't know what that is, but that made the list. Um, 2015, uh, the year of Frozen. So it was a Frozen sing-along Elsa doll. Um, If I never have to hear Let It Go ever again, I will be happy, okay? Uh, That song is just, oh, rough. Okay. And then 2020, uh, the the COVID Christmas year, uh, it was a 12-pack of Charmin. So these are the must-haves of the last 40-something years, and uh, all of them uh, can, we can, some of them we can relate to. But uh, the big thing is that I have realized as I've uh, matured and gotten older that as you get older, gift giving is a lot harder, right? Um, one of the things that I've just recently come into is this, what we call adult money. Um, and not that adult money is different than money. It's just the fact that now I am an adult um, and I make this money uh, working a full-time job that I didn't when I was in high school and college when I worked part-time. I didn't make the same amount of money that I did back then. And so now I have access to more money. And because of this, whenever I want something, I just go to the store and I get what I want. I mean, it's, it's adult money. You got, you got it, you, you want it, you go get it, and you're done. And so this Christmas has been the first Christmas that I have had to sit down for longer than 30 minutes and figure out what I'm going to put on my Christmas list. I spent two hours the other day sitting down trying to figure out what all I was going to put on my Christmas list because my family, um, we always do Christmas lists. My parents do a Christmas list. Me and my sister do a Christmas list. So that way my parents are like, you, we know what you're going to get or we're going to get you. And so this, fir- this is the first Christmas uh, that I was just like, I really have no idea what I want. Because now I have access to adult money, I go and I buy something that I want when I want it. If it's a new pair of shoes, I go buy a new pair of shoes. If it's something else, you know, I go and get it. And so as we get older, gift giving becomes more complicated because everything that we want, we can pretty much already attain on our own, right? And if it's too expensive to where we can't afford it, then the thing is we probably shouldn't, like we probably don't need it anyway if it's already too expensive. Um, like when you go to Lowe's and they have those sales and there's the, the Polaris buggy things out on there and it's like $10,000. I'm like, yeah, it'd be nice to have one of those, but I can't afford it, so I don't need it, right? It's kind of the same way. And when we get to Christmas, there seems to be this obsession about giving gifts, right? Everybody has to get a gift. Everybody needs to receive a gift. Um, we were doing a, Christmas, a family Christmas party um, one year. And I can remember my mom went out and bought extra gifts for people who did not receive a gift. And I'm like, well, if they didn't receive a gift, then what's the big deal? I mean, I was a kid at this time. So like now I'm, if I don't get a gift, I'm going to get mad. But she, she got extra gifts to give to people, um, who came to this Christmas party that we were hosting. So that way they would feel you know, loved and and cherished because they received a gift. And, you know, Christmas and gifts, I mean, they go hand in hand. Um, You know, starting with uh, the the wise men, I mean, they painted this picture for us about Christmas and gifts. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. If you want to open your Bibles or uh, 
open your Bible app on your tablet or your phone. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 for the majority of today. But uh, we see here from the wise men in verses 1 through 2, it says this, Some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars it rose, and we have come to worship him. And so they, they made their way, they're, trying, they're following the star, they're trying to find out where the king is going to be born, and they want to go worship him, right? They bring gifts. And so they found out that the baby was going to be born in Bethlehem, and so when we uh, go down to verse 11, it says, They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you see, these gifts were extremely, extremely personal for these men. I mean, these are the wise men, right? They are wealthy, well-known people that, you know, could have easily just sent the gifts and not gone themselves. They could have just easily sent them. But when we look back at verse 2, we see the motive of why they went. It says, uh, we have come to worship him. They wanted to offer him their worship. And so these men, again, incredibly wealthy. Um, they're most likely from the region known today as Iraq, and they could have easily had just sent the gifts, but for them it was more than just a gift. It was an offering. It was an offering. And so uh, I'm going to give you three little tips here uh, real quick right off the bat to help you and assist you with your gift buying this holiday season. Okay, so these tips, ask people what they want. Super easy. That way you don't have to stress. You ask somebody what they want, you get them exactly what they want. It's what they want, it's what they get. Second thing, give only what you can afford. This helps. I remember growing up as a kid, uh, not having any money. My dad, he would always take me Christmas shopping, and he would give me a set amount of money. And he said, all right, you need to buy four gifts, and this is how much you should spend on each gift. And so I would go and I would search and find something for the four people that I need to buy a gift for. And if it was too much, I put it back. And I tried to spend all, the, all of what I could on that gift. And again, for someone like me, again, it's okay to buy a gift card. It is. But again, for me, it's that personal touch. I like, to, I like it to be personal. But sometimes we often get too tied up and carried, uh, get too stressed about the gift itself. And so today I want to challenge us to check the motive for our gift giving. Um, there are basically three, ty- uh, three kinds of gifts that we can give. The first is a gift for a gift gift. All right, you all know this kind of gift. It's a gift that you get because somebody gave you a gift. And now the gift that this person gave you, you're having to size it up figure out how much this person spent on this gift, and then that way you can easily get them a gift that is the same, like equal to or greater value, right? A gift for a gift, right? I experienced this last night in the most awful and horrendous way. It is December 10th. There are 15 days to Christmas, okay? If you haven't started your Christmas shopping, that would be me, you need to get on that. But I experienced this last night. I went to a store here locally. I'm not going to tell you which one. I went to a store. I needed four things, okay? Four simple, easy things. Not a big deal. I'm walking through this store, and I'm thinking, these people are crazy. 
It is December 10th. It is not like it's Christmas Eve. It is not like it's the end of the world. But that store looked like the apocalypse had just happened. The shelves were empty. I'm walking by clothing racks that are empty. I'm walking by toy aisles that are empty. Like video game cases were empty. Like there, it's just empty in that store. And it's December 10th. And I'm like, you guys, I've got to calm down. But this is what people do. We stress about Christmas because we have to make sure that we get the appropriate gift to match the gift that we're going to receive. And if we don't do that, then we feel bad because we've only given them one thing versus the thing that they gave us. You know, and there are people out there that like to keep score, right? They'll say, oh, well, I got them a gift card to Outback for $25. And all I got in return was a pack of ramen. It happens. There are people out there that keep score. But... This is what we see on Christmas Eve. If you go Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve, I feel sorry for you. You're out there with all the last-minute shoppers who have received a gift and now are trying to find a gift that they can match to the gift that they received because they didn't think, oh, my coworker was going to give me a gift. Now I have to get them a gift, and now I've got to figure out what I'm going to get them. And so it's, it's a little bit of craziness out there during this time of season. And no wonder this season, especially buying gifts, is so stressful. It's because everyone around us is so stressed. You walk into a store and your stress level instantly goes up because of the people around you. The second gift is a gift for a favor gift. This is most often seen by companies or the job that you work at uh, for a performance. Uh, your year, you did really well, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's either a bonus or like they give you like a Christmas ham, right? Uh, it's, it's, they are thanking you for the work that you did this year. Um, and, you know, we really don't expect you to pay us back or get us a gift in return, but this is our token of saying thank you, right? And they don't really expect anything much in return except for you to maybe, you know, act a little nice this upcoming year. Um, and when, you, you know, March rolls around and you start complaining or you start bickering with coworkers or you start, your performance starts to fall, they bring that up. They're like, so how did you enjoy that Christmas ham we gave you? You like that? Well, we just want to make sure you liked it because we were planning on getting you one this year, but, you know, your performance, it's a gift for a favor gift. And then the last kind of gift that, that we can get is a gift of grace gift. And this is the gift that the wise men gave. This is what they teach us about, grace. Um, uh, what, what does a grace gift look like, all right? For me, a grace gift looks like being born into a Christian family. I could have never asked for that. I could have never, uh, I can never repay for that. But I was born into a Christian home and I got to grow up learning and knowing and getting closer to Jesus. Um, the job that I have here, working with students. I could have never imagined being in a place that is so kind, loving, and welcoming, but also has a pastor who has mentored me in the way that he does. And I'm so thankful for that. And I could never have asked for something like that. I can never repay for something like that. That's a, a grace gift. About a year and a half ago, when I got down on one knee and asked Sarah Margaret to marry me, she could have said no. She said, she said yes. So that's a grace gift right there. Um, so they, they come in all different uh, styles of, of things, but a grace gift is probably the best gift to receive. And the ultimate grace gift that we have been given is by God through his son, Jesus. And, you know, he, 
he loves us so much that through his son we have salvation and we have eternal life. And so when we think of God, we can think of grace. And we say, there's no way that I could ever, ever repay the grace that has been given to me. But occasionally, a gift is so spectacular that you simply must reciprocate the giving. And Paul writes something like that in Philippians 2, chapters, or verses 6 through 8. He says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. This is referred to this passage of scripture is referred to as the Messiah poem. It is a beautiful piece of scripture located in Philippians. And we studied this a couple months ago when we uh, with the students we were walking through the book of Philippians and we got to uh, see this beautiful passage and what it truly means. And you know, we can look at it like this way. It's like being given a job that we don't qualify for, right? Um, the natural response to your, your boss that hired you is to do everything humanly possible to make him proud of the selection when he chose to hire you, right? And one thing that we can look at from this passage is that salvation is the ultimate grace gift. It's the ultimate grace gift. And we can never, uh, we could neither earn it or deserve it, okay? But having a thankful heart means that most often we should want to give back to God. But here's the thing. If you think buying a gift for your spouse is hard, what do you get God? What kind of gift do you give the God who has everything and who made everything? And so this is the question that we can look to the wise men for to answer. You see, back in the Old Testament, people offered sacrifices to God. We're very familiar with this. This is how sin was atoned for during, during the Old Testament time period. But there were two types of uh, sacrifices offered. There were required sacrifices and there were voluntary sacrifices. And we could kind of look at that today as tithes and offerings. You see, a required sacrifice was required by the children of Israel to atone for their sins, but then there were these voluntary sacrifices that they were given, uh, that that were given to God as a as a term, as a a way to say thank you. Okay, and we can look at it that way with our tithes and offerings. We talked about this on Wednesday night with the students that um, God, as a Christian, only requires us to give Him back ten percent of everything that we have. You know, a God who is mighty and perfect would have, you know, made sense to request all 90% and leave us with 10. But instead, God requires only us to give back 10% and let us keep 90% of what we have. It's incredible. It's grace. And on top of that, we have the opportunity to give more than just the 10%. These are offerings. We've taken up collections as a church and you all give money to those collections. And because of that, we're able to help people and benefit other ministries and things like that. And it's incredible, the giving that you do. And so one of the voluntary gifts in the Old Testament was called a grain offering. This was different than most sacrifices because it was not an animal sacrifice. It was a mix of fine flour, incense, and oil. 
and it was baked without yeast, so it was a flat type of bread. And a portion of the offering was burned as a sacrifice to God, and the rest was given to the priests. It's essentially a piece of perfume flatbread, uh, if you think about it. I mean, it's flour, incense, and oil. And it really doesn't sound too appetizing, um, but it's what the priest got. You know, it's almost like it's worse than fruitcake. Um, if you like fruitcake, I will be praying for you. I am so sorry for you. Um, fruitcake is nasty. There should not be anything in anything. There should not be a fruit in a cake that is green when it's supposed to be red. Okay? There is no such thing as green cherries, and they should not go in anything. Okay? That is... I'm sorry. My dad, for the past 10 years, has made fruitcake every year for us, but then also other people. And I'm like, are, are you giving this to your enemies? Like, or is, it, is this your friends? Are, are you sure they're your friends? Because this is nasty. It's gross. It's awful. And it just, fruitcake, I'm sorry. It's not for me. If it's for you, again, I'll be praying for you. Um, but fruitcake is not it. But there is a word in the Hebrew for this grain offering, and it is uh, mincha, mincha. And uh, it means literally translated reciprocal gift. In other words, the one who is offering this sacrifice of this perfume bread was paying God back for the blessings that they received. And of course, I mean, you can't really pay God back But whenever our hearts are full of gratitude, we're compelled to give. And so we are no longer required to offer sacrifices and special offerings at the temple. However, we can still offer a uh, grain-type offering to God. Definitely not a fruitcake, but a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And and the writer of Hebrews expresses this to us in verses uh, 15 of 16 of chapter 13. He says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are sacrifices that please God. And so a few things. It pleases God when we proudly proclaim his name when we proudly proclaim his name. And it also pleases him when we serve others. Because remember, when we serve others, we're serving God. So that gets back to the question of what do we give God? What gift can we give him? Well, I'm going to offer you three things based off of um, the story of the wise men that we can give to God. First thing, we can give him our future. Okay, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 says, Some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So, the first thing is, why were these men following this star? I mean, when you look up in the sky at night, there's hundreds, if not millions, if not billions of stars that you can see with the naked eye. You know, there's, there's lots of stars in the sky. So why are they following this particular star? And so 
Let's, let's, let's do some digging into these men. The Bible tells us that the wise men came from the east, okay? So when you look at the east in biblical times, the major empires that had been established there were the Babylonian and the Persian empires, okay? Uh, we also know that the Babylonians specialized in studying the stars. This makes sense. So they studied stars. But we also know something about the Babylonians from the Old Testament, the Babylonians conquered and took captive the nation of Israel. And through that, we get the story of Daniel. And if you don't know the story of Daniel, Daniel is this uh, young Jewish uh, exile who um, finds his way into Babylonian captivity. And uh, he's most noted for praying three times a day, despite there being a decree made by the king that you can only pray to the king. And yet Daniel still prays three times a day to his God. He gets caught, and the punishment is being thrown into the lion's den. And he survives, and the king of Babylon at that time appoints him to be chief of the wise men of Babylon. And then after Babylon comes the Persian Empire. And the Persians attack and conquer Babylon. And Daniel then, being a very prominent figure in the Babylonian uh, king's court, became a very powerful and prominent person in King Darius's court for the Persian king. And, you know, we don't lay down at night, put our heads on the pillow and think, okay, tomorrow we could be invaded by a foreign power. It's not something that we're um, used to, um, but... It, it shows how just different their lifestyle was. And so based off of this, many scholars believe that the wise men would have known and understood many of the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies because of Daniel. And maybe, just maybe, that they were familiar with this verse in Numbers twenty four seventeen that says, I look into the future and I see the nation of Israel, a king. Like a bright star will arise in that nation. Like a comet, he will come from Israel. So it makes sense, based off of all that, that when they saw this star, their minds would have gone back to this passage and think, Israel, the new king is here. We should go. And what's so important for us to realize is they were ready to go, to follow the star and to follow God wherever he would direct them. And now, God may not use a star today to lead us and guide us, but Jesus did say in John fourteen sixteen, I will ask the Father to send you the Holy Spirit who will help you and always be with you. And today we have the Holy Spirit who guides us and leads us day by day. And I just want you to think a minute about these wise men, right? They're packing up for a trip right? And their neighbors are watching them. They're like, oh, they're, they're doing something. They're going somewhere. And so the na- they're just picture a neighbor comes up to the wise men as they're packing, loading everything onto their camels. And he's like, so uh, you guys going on a trip? Yeah, we are. All right. Where, where are you going? Uh, we don't know. Okay. How long are you going to be away? Oh, we don't know that either. All right. Well, why are you going on this trip D- to worship the new king that's being born? The new king? Well, what's his name? We don't know. 
can you imagine the thought process of this neighbor? If these are wise men, then I'm smarter than they are because I don't go on a trip without knowing where I'm going, who I'm seeing, or what I'm doing. But this is what happened. They felt led to follow the star. And it seems crazy, right? It seems odd that three grown men would ride on a camel for miles and miles following a star. But here's the thing. Just as that seems crazy to people who aren't believers, following Jesus sometimes seems just as crazy. But yet the journey of faith always has those same characteristics. They probably said the same kind of things to uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who were prominent fishermen following in the, in the footsteps of their, of their family. And they gave that up to follow this man. Jesus. Same with Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And this guy had a lucrative tax collecting business. And because Jesus told him to, to put that aside, come follow me, Matthew left his tax collecting business to follow Jesus. Tax collectors were the rich men of the day, right? So he left all his riches and things to follow Jesus. And this is not something that's different than today. Men and women have always... Uh, men and women of faith who have been willing to respond to the challenges of the unknown have had these same kind of things. There's this guy in the, in the late 1700s. His name was William Carey. He was a shoemaker, right? I don't know if it was clogs or like regular shoes, but he was a shoemaker. And one day he heard about the millions of people in India who had never heard about the gospel of Jesus. And he's, his mind went back to the the last words of Christ, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he felt like that included him. So he volunteered to go to India, right? It's noble, it's honorable, but he was told to sit down and that if God was pleased to convert the people of India, that he would do it without William Carey and without this other guy. And that can be discouraging. Someone who is uh, full of uh, vigor and full of energy and, and less experience but wants to go and experience and do things, being told by someone who's older, wiser, has more experience, that can be a very discouraging thing. But William Carey went anyway, and he supported himself. And he was in India for seven years without seeing a single convert. Nothing. But after that, he lived to see hundreds of churches and thousands of converts. And he wrote this. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. You see, we can give Jesus our future. That's a grace gift. Again, Sarah Margaret agreeing to marry me. Grace gift. It's great. But the second thing that we can give him is we can give him our time. We can give them our time. You see, the wise men invested a great deal of time trying to find Jesus. It's estimated that they traveled about a thousand miles from where they were to Bethlehem. That's the same distance from here to Dallas, Texas. Okay? Now, of course, uh, we have paved roads, we have cars, we have these great things like gas stations 
Chick-fil-A's, this new thing called Bucky's that make the trip more enjoyable as you go, right? These guys didn't have that. They didn't have it. Think about it this way. American Airlines can get you from here to Dallas in three hours. It's pretty fast, right? It's a pretty decent flight. It's estimated that it would have taken uh, two to three months for the wise men to journey from where they were to Bethlehem. That's some dedication. That's some time that they gave. And it's not like this journey was safe. I mean, we think about the, the story of the Good Samaritan, the guy who got robbed on the roadside. These wise men were walking the same roads, the same style of roads, and it was a, um, it was a robber's daydream. I mean, you could rob anyone and get away with it because there was nobody around. So it was, it's also estimated that these men would have been well-guarded and had a caravan that have gone with them. Probably, probably more like 300 people rather than three. And so the point here is often you spell love, not L-O-V-E, but T-I-M-E. You give time to demonstrate your love. And speaking of time, let me help you with your Christmas buying this year. There's this awesome gift that you need to buy everyone in your family. It's called the ticker, Okay. Anybody heard of this? The ticker? Anybody? No? Okay, so let me explain to you what the ticker is. There's this guy, he's about 37 years old, and he invented this watch called the ticker. And it's based off of an algorithm, the same kind that the government uses, but we're not going to get into that, um, to determine your life expectancy, how much longer you have left to live, okay? So you should add that to your Christmas list. Get that for everybody. Okay? Now, again, it's an algorithm. It's not 100% foolproof that this is when you're going to die. But when asked why he invented it, this guy named Friedrich Colting said that he invented this device called the ticker because he wanted to live his life each day with meaning, knowing that when he wakes up tomorrow, another day is going to be notched off of that clock. And so his goal was not to be a little bit morbid, but it was to uh, inspire people to live their life to the fullest. And we see this in Ephesians. Paul writes something similar in verses 15 through 16. He says, Live life then with a due sense of responsibility, not as people who do not know the meaning and purpose of life, but as those who do. Make the best use of your time despite all the difficulties of these days. And so I think this means a couple of things. Firstly, let's spend time with Jesus. Get up every morning, pour yourself a cup of coffee, sit at the table, open your Bible, read and pray. You can call it Joe with Jesus. Okay? Spend time with God. You can give Him no greater gift than your undivided attention and your time. But also, let's spend more time acting like him. Truth is, none of us know how long we have here on earth. The end might be closer than we think. Like a wealthy businessman who went into a barber shop to get a a shave, you know, gentleman's shave, they do the straight razor, all that kind of stuff. And so he goes in, and he's sitting in the chair, and as he's getting a shave, uh, the the barber leans his head over to the one side uh, to get this side of his neck, and as he does that, he 
he looks over and he sees the front counter and he sees this uh, beautiful, gorgeous young woman standing and manning the counter. And he starts having a conversation with her, chatting her up. And then he says, why don't you go on a date with me tonight? And the young woman goes, uh, she smiles, she's flattered, but she, she says, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think my dad would uh, be all right with me doing that. And he's like, well, that's no big deal. Just tell him, you know, tell him you're going out with some of your girlfriends, you know, just having a night out on the town. And she smiles and she begins to chuckle and she says, well, why don't you tell him yourself? He's giving you a shave right now. <laughs> A shave with a straight razor, that's the quickest way to uh, get your time cut short right there. But not only can we give him our future and our time, because we don't know when our time is over, we can also give him our hearts. In Matthew 2.11, it says, They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. You see, these wise men had traveled a great distance to find a newborn king and uh, give him special gifts that they had picked just for Jesus. Now, let's analyze these three gifts real quick because there's something spectacular about each one. First, gold. Gold is kingly. Gold is any, any movie that you watch that takes place during biblical times or medieval times, the, the thought of was gold, 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 gold crown, gold armor, whatever, whatever you think. Gold was, was put in mind with king. It was kingly. Well, frankincense was a perfume that was used and offered at the temple to God. So gold established Jesus kingly nature, frankincense established his godly nature, and then myrrh. What was myrrh? Myrrh was a perfume that was used in the embalming process after someone had passed away. And so it was foreshadowing. It was foreshadowing the death that Jesus was going to die. And it's a little interesting. It's like giving a baby a burial plot as a gift. Um, but we don't know 100% if these wise men truly and fully understood the significance of the gifts that they brought. But we do know that God was so impressed with their gifts that he recorded it and recorded what was brought in the pages of Scripture. God doesn't care about monetary value. He doesn't care about money. God wasn't impressed with the value If he was, he would have spent time explaining and counting how many gold coins were brought or how many ounces of frankincense and myrrh were brought or how much those things would have cost. No, instead, he focused on one important fact of this whole part of the gift-giving process. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts. Before any of the gifts were given, these men worshipped him. And that was what was so impressive. And that's the message throughout Scripture. A heart of worship must exist before we give gifts to Jesus. It must. When God has our heart, he has our wallet, our relationships, and everything else. 
Part of giving Jesus our hearts is being proud to be called a Christian. I mentioned William Carey earlier in something that he said. He also said something else. He said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And so what's, what's the message behind that? It's, it's simple. Give God, give him your future, your time, and your heart. And no matter what you do or where you go, you will be succeeding in things that matter. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for uh, this morning, even though it's raining. Thank you for the rain that we so desperately needed. God, thank you for this Christmas season where we get to spend time worshiping and remembering your son coming to us in the form of a human, in the form of a baby. God, I pray that as we uh, continue through our Christmas season, as it's already begun, we will learn what it means to live a uh, life with Christmas that is less stressful. It's in your name I pray. Amen.